0: Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Rob Cantor and Abbott and Costello. You can find information about this podcast as well as the sketches we're going to be discussing at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me, as always, are Seth Alcorn. Hello. And Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. Hello. I'm Andy Weld, and today we are happy to have on as two guests, two members of the sketch team, dear friends, Mike Bach and Steph Kozakowski. Did I do it right?
1: You did it perfectly. Yes.
0: Hello. Well, yeah, welcome. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I'm trying to say, I'm trying to make sure that I'm doing a good job, Mike. Please don't interrupt me. Um, Sorry. So... Uh, Mike, Steph, tell us about your background in comedy. Tell us about what Dear Friends is, how Dear Friends came to be.
1: Um, all right, Steph here. Uh, my background in comedy, um, been doing improv since 2009, uh, sketch since 2011, and just started stand-up last year, so we'll see how that goes. And yeah, Dear Friends is really awesome sketch group. It's a dojo comedy house team, and um, come see our shows. I don't know.
0: <laughs> we'll catch to the know. plugs Wait. at the end. Okay. Um. Oh, sorry.
1: All right. I, I, I listened to the Hustle Landy <laughs> and respect it.
0: Mike, what's your background?
2: Okay. Well, this is a long and super interesting story. Uh, <laughs> I bet it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, a uh, buddy of mine uh, in, started doing uh, stand up in college. Shout out to Ian slash Perth. So, I kind of got into the world that way. Just saw a lot of shows, thought it looked fun. Always wanted to try it. Uh, so when I moved into D.C., I uh, dabbled a little bit into it. I did a handful of stand-ups, and I took two classes at D.C. Improv. Uh, one was uh, just like the weekend sketch writing with uh, Ali Farnakian. Uh, he's an SNL guy during one of the Mango years. That's like his big claim to fame. Uh, and I took, uh, I guess, level 101, or the the intro improv class with Sean Westfall. Um and I didn't really take to it because I was terrible at it. Uh, but then a buddy of mine, um, another friend, started taking a class at uh, WIT, and he wanted to know if I wanted to jump in with him. So I did, and I finished the curriculum. And I kind of got to that point and realized that I don't really like improv. <laughs> uh, I learned that lesson than $1,000 too late, but <laughs> I still wanted to pursue comedy and you know put all the stuff I learned to good use. So I found a sketch class at Dojo and just sort of <laughs> fell into the community there.
3: Had you never been to an improv show before?
2: Uh, no.
3: Okay, yeah. See, I spent $10 on a show and then realized this is not this is not for anyone. Oh, really? It wow. <laughs> e. <K., laughs> took you Please. $10. Please, kind of E.K. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, so Dear Friends. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, what was the
0: genesis of Dear Friends? How did Dear Friends come about?
2: Yeah, so Murph, who runs Dojo, uh, had the idea to put on a community show for Halloween, and that's... Uh, Anyone who has taken a class at Dojo, you know, taken a sketch class or is interested in performing or writing or whatever can contribute um, however they see fit. Um, So me and Steph and maybe like 10 other people um, all signed up for the show. We put it on. Uh, It went well. Um, And then two months later, there was a Christmas show. Same deal. Everyone who wants to perform can. Uh, And then two months later, a Valentine's Day show. And a sort of a core uh, nucleus formed of uh, six people who were sort of the original Dear Friends. We weren't calling ourselves that yet, but um, after we did the three shows, Murph said, hey, you guys, like, are pretty good together. Um, do you have any interest in, like, forming a team and, like, being affiliated with Dojo? And we're like, sure, yeah. Anything else to add?
1: That was perfect.
2: Wow. <laughs> perfect. Good. No, that's, that
0: sounds great. And so do you, both of you both write and perform in Dear Friends? Is it true? Do do either of you, like, air towards one side or the other or anything like that? Or is it just kind of it's all whatever you need to do, you do. Steph?
1: You know, I think it's kind of whatever you need to do, you do. I think when I first was like, oh, I want to do sketch writing. You know what? I don't want to do that performing thing. But then you start trying to do that and realize, okay, if I want to see my sketches ever get performed, I got to be up there performing. <laughs> and like, so I am I'm, I'm started out being like, oh, just the writer side. But now that I'm doing more performing and like trying to get good, and hopefully people think I am getting improving. <laughs> I won't say good, but improving. It's I'm liking all of it now you,
0: you can hope to be good you yeah. you don't have to I, just hope to improve you can hope to know. be good <laughs> Mike, do you write and act mostly write, mostly act?
2: I do a little bit of both. um I was kind of like Steph in that I originally wanted to you know just write, but it's you're sort of like this weird you know petty tyrant forcing other people to write in the little plays and sketches that you've performed yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you can't do that. Uh, so I so I decided to act, and it's it's going well.
0: And some of it for me is just like, no, you're not doing it the right way. Like <laughs> that's not the voice that I hear in my head for this. You need to do it differently. I can relate. All right. Well, let's get
2: to our first sketch. Introducing the sketch. It's Steph and Mike. And now it's time for a pop quiz. Is Shia LaBeouf? A, a comedy song written by L.A. songwriter Rob Cantor that went viral a few years ago. B, a hilarious live performance that blurs the lines between sketch and musical comedy. Or C, an actual cannibal living in the woods and killing for sport. If you answer all of the above, you'd be correct. Or so are you, me and Steph. Here's a clip.
0: Limp into the dark woods, blood oozing from your stump leg. You've beaten Shia LaBeouf.
1: Wait, he isn't dead.
0: Shy surprise, there's a gun to your head and death in his eyes, but you can do jujitsu. Body slammed, superstar Shia LaBeouf. Legendary fight with Shia LaBeouf. Normal Tuesday night for Shia LaBeouf. You try to swing an axe at Shia LaBeouf, but blood is raining fast from your stomach the of us. all right Mike Steph why did you bring that sketch for us today
1: okay um I sent it to Mike uh basically I was looking through all my YouTube history which is kind of a weird thing to do I recommend it um well, and I, I don't i really don't
4: <laughs> was it startling or frightening at all at any point
1: i was really sad at how many vine compilations i'd seen in the last like three months wow. yeah. i was like oh no so um,
4: <laughs> well we, i mean we all go through a morning period and, you know it can last up to years for Vine. yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um but i so saw the shia labeouf and i was like wait i need to watch this right now and then it's like okay if i'm feeling that Maybe this is something worth talking about. Then I showed it to Mike, but I, I did preface it with like, I don't know if this is a sketch and well, the- I'm gonna ask that question, okay. so don't worry, we'll
0: get into it. <laughs>
1: um yeah.
0: Mike, what what was your immediate reaction when you first saw this? Have you seen it before? Shit.
2: Uh <laughs> I had yeah, oh yeah. I saw it uh I mean when it first like went viral in like twenty twelve or whatever. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. I that was, you know, around the time when Shia LaBeouf uh went from his like, you know uh kid actor transformers phase to like very serious everyone please Too respect- serious yeah. Phase. Almost, yeah. yeah yeah And you started doing all this crazy stuff and then uh this video just hit at the exact right time i mean it's obviously a bit of a stretch to imply that he's an actual cannibal hunting for sport but uh, a bit yeah no it just hit me right in the funny boat <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah
0: seth do you think this is a sketch
2: well is crucible cast party a sketch
4: yeah, I think so. Okay, so I think we can say that this is probably a sketch as well.
0: Crucible Cast Party is an SNL sketch from about two years ago with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah.
4: It's got a plot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's got a lot of... It, it's not just a song, and I wouldn't really call it a music video. It's got a lot of visual elements, the uh, The dancers, uh, the <laughs> Shia LaBeouf himself in a nod to Citizen Kane at the end. Uh, I always wondered where that gift came from. And, yeah, right? That's, uh, yeah, I had yeah, the same thought. I had from. the same right. thought. Yeah. Uh, and I also, uh, I just need to mention this because I am the biggest nerd in this room. Uh, it inspired a role playing game called Actual Cannibal Shia LaBeouf, which you can hear performed on episode 99 of the One Shot Podcast.
0: Damn. Yeah. Wow. That's nice. right. That's okay. right. The deepest Sweet. of cuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very deep. EK, what did you think of this sketch?
3: I, you know, I remember when this song first came out. I don't remember exactly what Shia LaBeouf was doing at the time. Was this when he had his whole, like, come watch me, watch all of my
1: movies thing? It was, I think it was a little before. When I tried to look up, it was like he he showed up intoxicated to a Broadway show and then went somewhere with a paper bag on his head. So it's that era Shia. Oh,
0: oh it yeah, is what did it say? I'm not famous on it or something like that?
1: I, I didn't do much research beyond that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I I, res- I really responded
3: to the polish of it that it really oh, yeah. is presented. Oh, yes. It is this completely absurd setup, characterizing him as a cannibal, and then having like. But you have all these elements of really highbrow theater, like interpretive dance, and you know these very polished, formal-looking choirs and it's like the tuxedos. Aerial work. Yeah, yeah, and then the the editing of him kind of the close. The, it's what is it like middle close up on him every time he's doing the kind of narration of the next part of the story. It's the, the precision is pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I like that there's like three sort of meta elements at work here that like combine very well. Like comedy and horror, uh, they both sort of like play on your expectations for what's going to mm-hmm. happen. And music and setting it to a beat helps set those expectations.
0: That's a good point. I, I think that's a really important thing in music comedy is in musical comedy is setting up those expectations. And you often see a lot of musical comedians, someone like um, Stephen Lynch or Bo Burnham, do the thing where like you set up a rhyme and then you have it not rhyme. And right. that's or you set it up. So it sounds like you're going to say the C word or something like that. And then it's that's not actually what it is. And yeah. that's that's it's, it, that's a good point with the rhythm, really setting that up. And that's that's clear in this stuff. Building on what E.K. said. How do the high production values contribute to this sketch being funny?
1: I actually think it's completely why I throw it into the sketch category as opposed to just a song. Like seeing a person do this with like a guitar is not. But like it's not just high production, but the the production actually increases over time. Like you start like, oh, it's a guy on stage. Oh, he's it's a guy, but he's he's got like a, a string quartet. Oh no, he has the entire like Los Angeles gay man's choir. And then suddenly there's like a children's choir. And then like the back rises and you're like, and I think it also definitely helps uh, as much as you say like there's an expectation with music, but I think I had no idea who Rob Cantor was sure. before. So I was like, oh, a viral video. And so just like not expecting it to continue to increase and being like, this is someone I've never heard of. Where did he get this money in production? And it's kind of this extra like, wait, what? Um, It's that kind of tension that can lead to comedy, I think, did here.
0: Well, And it's funny to me that you say that the production values add to, add to kind of make it a sketch, because I would agree with that. Because I think if you kind of take a look at the bones of this, you could see a sketch about Shia LaBeouf being a cannibal. Like you could easily stage this without the music and just tell this same story. And I think that's the biggest thing for me that makes it a sketch is there's this clear, coherent narrative that runs runs throughout the whole thing. Seth, Shia LaBeouf is in on the joke, obviously, we learn at the end.
4: Yes, yes, he is.
0: How does how does that contribute to the sketch, and what would it mean if he wasn't in, the, in on the joke?
4: Um, you know, I'm going to say, I think it would still be good if he wasn't in on the joke, if we didn't get that last little bit. But um, at that point in his career, he's really sort of on the cusp of taking himself way too seriously, and then sort of doing, like, trying to be Andy Kaufman, except without uh, a sense of absurdity or talent in that direction. So to have him come in, and I'm again, I'm gonna go with the Citizen Kane thing because I think it has bearing on the sketch, to essentially do an homage to the part where Charles Foster Kane stands up and starts clapping for his new bride who wants to be um, an opera singer but is not good enough to be an opera singer, where he sort of demands that everyone clap which is what Shia LaBeouf is doing. So the impression, at least that I got, is that here's this guy. There's this horrible song about him. Which, um, speaking of expectations, it's a classic horror movie. The the plot, right? Yeah. We, we yeah. there's the killer. The killer dies. Except no, he comes back. Um, Shy a surprise. Shy surprise. <laughs> and most uh,
3: often the hero does not know jujitsu. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta you gotta give him <laughs> credit for that. It's most a rich, it's, often, it's a fun twist. twist. There was no virginity <laughs> losing either.
4: So <laughs> yeah. that what that we know it. I
3: mean, we, oh, there no. might, it might have been in the subtext. Anyway, <laughs> oh, no. But anyway, finish spoiling Citizen Kane for everyone.
4: I, I will have, do that. Rosebud is the sled. Ah, uh, oh,
3: motherfucker. <laughs> so,
4: at the end, we have we have this guy who's taking himself too seriously, who seems to be demanding that this weird little song about him be taken as a work of art because that's how he's treating it. He's dressed up in. Is he wearing a tux or just a suit? But he's dressed like a disheveled, disheveled tux, I think. Tux. Yeah. Like yeah. he's wearing a disheveled tux. His he doesn't crack a smile at all. His face, if anything, is grim, and he claps as though trying to command the rest of the audience, or in fact the the performers, to to acknowledge this work of art that has been done in his name.
3: See, I thought that that setup at the end, like I mean, obviously it's the Citizen Kane reference, but I thought they were trying to construct it so that it was almost like he had created this about himself.
4: Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I really like that interpretation.
3: I mean, he was the only one there, but maybe. Yeah, it's
4: true. It, it's all for him. Yeah. He's created mm-hmm. this piece, this work of art in which he is a cannibal and dies
3: yeah. for himself. Because actually, I thought one of the funniest moments, I mean, the song is hilarious, but one of the funniest moments for me is when he sort of stops clapping, and then you have that moment where he just looks a little panicked and embarrassed, and then then it ends. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he's at least aware that like, oh, it got weird. Now it got weird. Right.
0: <laughs> Steph, um we talked about we I think we all agree that this is a sketch, but there are also <laughs> funny songs. Matter? Funny songs that are <laughs> not sketches. Wherein lies the difference and is there always a clear-cut difference between a between a funny song and a musical sketch?
1: I'd say not always a clear-cut difference, but I don't, I'm kind of sorry, I'm coming into the middle of it. Like, yeah, some are definitely one, some are definitely the other. I mean, I've definitely had those SNL sketches where it's like, you know, we're just going to sing a whole time, and then what is it when it's a new song versus a parody, and is a parody less? But I think, like, it's really comes down to, like, the staging, and you're doing something else. You're not just, like, playing the instruments. And even though this is, like, a production here, I mean, I think the way the camera cuts and hides, the way it focuses in on, like, the children's choir and just, like— just have like the one child's face there and these kind of movements. There's more going going on than, I don't know, I guess. Uh, yeah, this is like a to, sketch. Yeah. Like,
2: I, I don't know the exact definition, but it's like a comedic exploration of a theme or idea. And I guess the theme or idea here is that Shia is a killer.
0: Well, we've never worked on a definition before. Maybe we should start <laughs> having a definition. Oh, but shit. Isaiah, right. can we go back to the first episode? we have yeah, yeah. <laughs> got about 36 episodes to re-record.
3: It was released just as a song before it was a video. Really? really? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. He hmm. posted it, and that is actually what Shia LaBeouf initially retweeted and responded to, which is how they got him to appear in the video. I Googled that Curiouser and curiouser. <laughs> yeah. uh. Yeah.
2: One thing I really like about this is that um, well, it's pretty rare because it's told in the second person. Yeah, you know, I, I like th- that too. Mm-hmm. The the line that hits the hardest for me is because you know jujitsu, like it just totally comes out of nowhere, but it fits, and it's just so unexpected that like, oh yeah, you you are a karate expert. You are you know a part of the story here. You never see that in like a traditional
3: sketch. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would say even like in sketches that might be similar to this, like if you've ever seen like character monologues, you're like, I'm gonna stay up here, I'm gonna be the preacher and the audience is the choir and you're kind of in there, but it's never that like really direct, no, this is you and you're here. There's like a- It's like a choose the, your
0: own adventure sketch.
1: Right, yeah. like I think the yeah. only like second, per- was it like the Continental? There's some SNL sketch where it's like a guy hitting on someone and it's all like yeah, second person. Yeah, it's Christopher oh. Oh. It's like yeah. Walken. Yeah, it's Christopher Yeah. <laughs>
3: Champagne. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. yes. Uh, where are you going? <laughs>
2: yeah, and I think just ha- like having that rare format adds to like the the sort of welcome surprise you feel when you watch it.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and
0: I think you hit on an interesting note earlier with the the surprise, um, the uh, the comparisons between comedy and horror, and obviously there's a, a proud tradition of those two genres mm-hmm. being mashed together. But I, you know, the working definition
4: together. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> the working definition I always come back to for comedy is it's the unexpected plus safety and horror is the unexpected plus unsafety or terror and so kind of just moving into the unexpected
3: wait is the person creating it or is the person experiencing
0: experiencing it
3: how are you in danger in like when you're watching a horror movie
0: it's playing on fear rather than playing on i don't know i I guess
1: you know the comedy plays on fear yeah, there's definitely a tension there. Like I've heard that comedy and horror are always like they're both creating tension and it's just how they break it. That's that's the mm. difference.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's interesting that I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. Thought I guess I just think of comedy is you're setting up the audience to ultimately be happy or to laugh, mm. right? And laughter is a happy reaction, usually. Not always, but yeah. generally. And horror, you're setting the audience up to be afraid or like to receive a dopamine through... Terror.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. And it's, it's, there's definitely a blurred line between the two. Like when a toddler falls, you're not sure if he's
3: going to laugh or cry sometimes. Sometimes I laugh and then it's like, <laughs> no, wait, I shouldn't be laughing. That kid's got to get back up. And then like when he does get up, I feel fine about it. But then there's like that. He might not have made it though, <laughs> <laughs> and then I would be that person who just laughed at a dead kid. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so, like,
3: <laughs> sorry, we
0: comedy it, uh, to, so
3: we just went wide on the I
0: themes of real this. Yeah. <laughs> we just kind of went wide on the themes. Let's go wide on the style, Mike. What was the last time that when was the last time you saw a truly viral sketch video that you think most people
2: saw? Oh, dude, it's been a while. Um, God, <sighs> well, I guess. There have been in the past couple of years a great deal of uh, SNL sketches where Alec Baldwin plays Trump that go quote unquote
3: viral.
0: Sure, maybe the okay. Kavanaugh uh, hearing sketch with mm-hmm. Matt yeah. Damon.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: but it it does seem like it does not happen as much as it used to happen. Do you would, you would you all agree with that? Would you would you say differently than that? I mean, I
1: will say I went through several years of my YouTube history to find. What I consider a viral sketch. How, so. <laughs> I was going to say, like, how
0: do you do you like use 2014, YouTube infrequently, 2015. Yeah. or like, how I just like I can't imagine <laughs> going back that far in my YouTube history.
1: Oh,
3: you know what? There was that one. It wasn't the Matt Damon. It was the 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 Kavanaugh Samuel L. Jackson thing. I don't think I saw that one. Maybe maybe that wouldn't constitute a sketch. I think it kind of does. It's where they're edited together. Like it's that scene where he's talking to the guy in his apartment. Oh, like, from Pulp Fiction? I didn't ask you a goddamn thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, the oh, yeah. question. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that seemed to explode.
4: Uh, you know, I want to say maybe it's because people are trying for that now. People are trying to get things to go viral, and for a fairly long period of time it was just, oh, I did a thing, and then all of a sudden everybody's seen it. And now maybe maybe the the act of trying to make something viral is preventing things from actually
3: r-
0: capturing that magic or whatever it is.
3: Are you including Vine?
0: Um, I guess I'm thinking of a long, longer form than Vine. I mean, I obviously, I think there are plenty of Vines that are sketches that you could define as a sketch. There was the yeah. whole five-second film thing, which lasted for a couple of years, and yeah. that, I think, yeah. were sketches. But, you know, I think especially in the maybe the first five or six years of YouTube, when you have sketch teams like Good Neighbor and Derek Comedy mm, yeah. and um, – what were workaho- The guys who did workaholics called whatever those guys were before they were made workaholics. There, you have these kind of sketch teams that would make these videos. Even Smosh, which like very early days of mm-hmm. YouTube, they were making sketches basically. Sure. Um, and you know, it just seems like me, I don't know if the audience is too diverse now, and the the internet is too diverse now to reach the same levels. If we're victims of algorithms, or
2: yeah, I would say fragmented. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so many of those sketches, like, came to sort of national prominence because, like, they just hit the front page of Huffington Post or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now, like, how many people are on Huffington Post every day?
3: Yeah, there's so many platforms anymore. Yeah. You'd have yeah. to get traction kind of across all of them.
1: Yeah, and even a lot of the platforms is just so self-selected, like... I have, like, several younger sisters, and anytime I visit their Tumblr page, like, each one has, like, a slightly different sense of humor (laughs) that matches the person, and it's—and, like, half of it I don't understand. Sorry, your name is Suzanne.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Tumblr is sort of a black hole for me, too. But, yeah, no, the way Facebook and YouTube structure their algorithms, you know, you're not Mm -hmm. getting—it doesn't lend itself to, the like, a new—like, you finding a new sketch as easily as it does, like— showing you the same 10 people you happened to click on in that past month or whatever.
1: Yeah, I felt like that was the biggest thing. So I was like, YouTube's where stuff used to be and where, like, I still go to search things first. Like, I don't go to, like, NBC.com for the SNL stuff, but it's, yeah, you I was don't?
3: like... don't? I know, <laughs> I
1: should. They tried um,
3: to fight you on that for so
1: many <laughs> years. <laughs> really so did. many years. Yeah. But, but yeah, like you said, I, I remember before, it would be like, I'd see one weird video and you could go into a hole, and now you, you can't go into a hole. It's just like... All the related stuff, everything from the front page, just I feel like it just keeps the whole clothes again. Yeah.
3: I think uh, the last sketch, like pure sketch unrelated to current events, was probably it's probably David S. Pumpkins, right? That's a good one. Ooh. That's a good Ooh. pick. Yeah. 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 I love David S. Pumpkins. Back to this End sketch, question. real quick. I, I, the
0: the one other, the other question I want to ask about this is: Is there another celebrity that we could have done this uh, song about? Like, the, is Shia LaBeouf so specific and specific to that moment that he was the only person who worked for that? Is there someone you could do this song about now? Is there someone else?
1: I mean, I'm going to say at least my first instinct is he's super specific to that moment of like the 2010 to 2015 because. I write, and I know Mike also writes stuff that references pop culture. And there's definitely like a, f- a feel to it where it's like, oh, we could, like if I mentioned Shia LaBeouf now in a sketch, people would be like, huh? that's, huh. yeah, like, okay, that's weird. That's, I my, favorite, that's my favorite <laughs> thing
0: to do. You will, I yeah. am roundly criticized for writing references to the 1990s into my sketches.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy them. <laughs> Thank you, Seth.
0: Sometimes.
4: You're
3: welcome. <laughs> uh, he, I mean, he, sorry, go ahead.
2: <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, I think, Mm. I mean, you could write it about like, oh, Nicolas Cage is the weird guy in the woods. Shia LaBeouf works because his name sounds funny if you say it in this like dramatic Vincent Price kind of voice and narration. Yeah.
1: Well, Which that's how they awesome. did the sketch, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we read that article. Yeah. We
3: both Googled it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, I think the whole idea came because his friend would just whisper Shia LaBeouf and it sounded so creepy. And then he made an entire viral video. With 161 people, that was also in the article. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe,
3: Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy.
0: Introducing our second sketch, it's Seth.
4: Hi, everyone. I'm going to introduce who's on first. Andy doesn't like it, but that's what I'm doing. It's not
0: that I don't like it.
4: <sighs> we'll we'll talk about it. We definitely will. Okay. So, um, Abbott and Costello first worked together in 1935 at the Eltinge. It could also be Eltinga. They didn't have a pronunciation guide. Burlesque theater in New York City it took them about three more years to appear on radio together, and shortly after that, Lou Costello affected his trademark high-pitched voice to help listeners differentiate between the two of them. 1940 saw the start of The Abbott and Costello Show, which ran for nine years, on the radio. They also introduced Who's On First to a movie-going audience in that same year in A Night in the Tropics. The two ended up as victims of their own success. By the early 1950s, they had a half-hour TV show, were starring in two movies a year, and the studios frequently re-released their previous films. Probably because of the schedule necessary to maintain such an output, Abbott and Costello would frequently reuse bits, and sadly, the public got tired of seeing the same bits. Uh, which is something Andy's going to talk about when we actually start talking about the sketch. Uh, so Who's On First, however, remains a classic. It has deep roots in the world of burlesque sketch, which is just what it sounds like. Uh, burlesque shows used to be more variety shows, so you'd get a little comedy in with the um, uh, the striptease. Uh, so it has deep roots in the world of burlesque sketch, uh, following in the footsteps of lesser-known sketches such as Who Died, and that's died is in, like, you dye cloth. All right, baseball sketches were also pretty common, and uh, marrying the two premises certainly worked for Abbott and Costello. So, in addition to showcasing it in movies, radio, and on stage, they performed it multiple times in front of FDR. It's in the Baseball Hall of Fame and was named Time Sketch of the Year, uh, Sketch of the Century, excuse me, in uh, 1999.
0: And here's a clip.
4: Yes.
3: You know the guys' names? Well, oh, I should. Well, you tell me the guys' names on a
4: baseball I team? Say who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling him. You said nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know Is on third. You know the guy's names on the baseball team? Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I
0: mean the
4: guy's
0: name. Who? The guy playing first.
3: Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? What are you asking me for? I don't
0: know. All right, Seth, why did
4: you bring us this sketch today? Uh, Abbott Costello, I mean, who's on first might be the first sketch that I ever heard or saw or uh anything like that. It was also really? Yeah yeah, I think so. Yeah.
3: Wow. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yeah, there was a there was an actually there's a comedy AM station in the town next to the town that I grew up in and, you know, that's one of the things that they played. I think they had about 20 pieces that they had the rights to, so I heard uh, who's on first frequently. Not, by the way, this version of who's on first. A much tighter, shorter version, which I think is actually probably better.
0: I read that there are variations on this that run one to eight minutes. Yes. And the version that we're discussing is the eight minute version. Which
4: is somehow considered to be the definitive version. And I'm like, I don't I don't know that that's the case. But yeah, so I brought in who's on first in addition to having some personal significance for me. It's also sort of the sketch i mean there's a reason that time picked it as their uh sketch of the 20th century it is it is sort of the nay plus ultra sketch of american comedy
0: yeah i i I would agree with that i think it's the the genesis of a lot of humor and it it kind of captures that 30s 40s 50s style of humor quite a degree before you kind of have the advent of improv a little bit later with del close in the 50s and all that it's that kind of structured, like it says, that burlesque sketch style. Uh, Mike, what do you think of the sketch?
2: I love it. One of the all-time greats. I saw it when I was a kid. I forget where exactly I saw it, but my history with it was, um, all right, so pretty much my knowledge of American culture before 1980s either comes from The Simpsons or Animaniacs. And they both did a take on who's on first. And for some reason, that led to me watching the actual video, and I just remember like rolling on the floor laughing.
0: It's pretty amazing in the video version that will be linked in the episode notes to this, just how hard the audience is laughing at this. Like you could just, even at minute six and seven, when I've checked out a little bit, yeah. the audience is going wild. They're dying. Buck wild.
4: Yeah. Now, this was from an episode of their TV show. This was from, I think, The Actor's Home yes. or something like that. So it, the, the audience might have been uh, encouraged to have mm. that reaction. Mm. That's, that's certainly possible. But- mm.
0: Um, it felt genuine. I don't know. I
4: mean, it felt genuine. It also yeah. says something about the staying power of the sketch because, you know, I was still laughing at it in the 1980s. People are still laughing at it now. So, yeah.
3: Maybe.
0: EK, what do you think of the sketch?
3: You know, I, had, I did not know what the sketch was until I was actually an adult. I'd never really been exposed to it as a kid. And I love comedy that relies on sort of language tricks and that is very precise and I think Jerry Seinfeld described it this way too it's almost mathematic Mm. um and the less like the faster it is the more it just feels like it's it's so tight but it feels like it's spiraling out of control and that to me is just like okay you are true masters of what you're doing here so I love it I love it from my I can watch it and not laugh the whole time. I like I recognize technically it's very funny, but just the the precision and the technique that's going on is is so mind blowing.
0: Yeah, Steph, can you talk about the speed that they go through this and kind of speed in comedy in general?
1: Oh. Okay. Um Or not. No, 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 (laughs) no. no. It's actually it's funny because there's actually something I didn't remember because I'd seen it when I was a kid too. Um I didn't remember the speed, and Abbott is just like Wait, no, Costello, the smaller one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> yes. So
1: I have to think of them in my head. But he's like going like so fast from the very beginning. And like, I hadn't seen this eight minute version of the sketch either. And it was like, yeah, you just like feel so fast. It doesn't really like let up. I, I think, I don't know, I think EK really hit what makes that so good is because it could fail like at any point, right? There's something so precise that you know that you're watching something and you know it's something hard to do. And,
2: yeah. It's like a yeah. high wire act.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, yeah. Oh, I think that's a good way to think about it. That, that precision, that kind of the three of you've talked about really, really hits home. And you see, it's one of those things, I feel like there's a popular almost genre of videos online where it's like people who are really good at what they do, just doing what they do, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, woodwork or a sushi set, sushi chef, or something <laughs> like that, where it's, you know, It just requires intense precision and years of practice and it's really entertaining to watch that even if – I mean obviously this is comedy and it's funny. But even things that aren't comedic, it's interesting to watch people who are really good at what they do. It's part of the reason that 98 million people just watched the Super Bowl. They watched the best people do what they're best at. The best people at this game. I
3: think they that. watched people play football, Andy. That's <laughs> I think part of the you world, know, Not all of us are Patriots fans, okay? Well, you know, some of us are, it's been a nice, a nice 18 years. Um,
0: yeah. Seth, uh, to kind of... Let's talk about this in a more modern sense right. now. Mm-hmm. Um, Family Guy once kind of mocked this style of thing by Stewie saying, uh, nothing will ever be funnier than misunderstanding. Yeah. And... How have we kind of moved both away from that and still been that, like, a core of a lot of comedy? This kind of, we saw it when we talked about the Marx Brothers, and it's just, it's people talking past each other. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about that evolution? Well, there are a couple of different
4: strains of comedy, I guess. The truth-telling version of comedy veered away from this in a big way, and I'm going to go ahead and... Sort of say that Lenny Bruce was a start of that, although I could be wrong. I'm sure uh, our listeners will tweet at us and tell us uh, whether I'm wrong. But the, just sort of being um, honest and genuine about uh, what's what's going on, uh, what things are like, and that sort of developed into observational comedy. And it's it you know there's a there's a pendulum that sort of swings back and forth about whether you're going to talk about um, airplane meals or whether you're going to talk about your uh, your own personal struggles or whatever. But Um, that is a sort of comedy that moved away from the misunderstanding. Uh, Now, that also sort of comedy, that doesn't necessarily work well in sketch. It's tough to, I think, sustain confessional comedy in a sketch, um, sketch atmosphere. But in terms of the comic misunderstanding, that's old. That's incredibly old that is probably one of the earliest if not the earliest forms of comedy
3: it's the entire plot of Twelfth Night isn't it it's the entire yeah. it's, it's, well, it's Greek drama it's,
4: it's Greek it's Greek uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Greek comedy pretty I was going to say pretty much all of Shakespeare's comedies involve a misunderstanding at some point and you can see it it's still happening in sitcoms People right. talking past each other, people not understanding what's going on.
0: It's the underlying premise of basically any romantic comedy. It's that five-minute part about, you know, 60 minutes in the movie that they call The Long Dark Night, where it seems like everything's fallen apart because yeah. something happened where the characters didn't quite understand each other, so the relationship's fallen apart, but then it gets back together in most romantic comedies. But that's that's that same kind of thing. It's yeah. misunderstanding. Yeah, and I, I want to say that it's
4: actually it's actually even moved out of comedy. The example that I'm thinking of right now is, is Black Panther. Uh, there's a fairly big plot point where I don't remember the characters' names, but uh, Black Panther. Racist. Yes, thank you, Eddie. Thank you very much. Uh, oh boy. Black Panther,
2: uh, King T'Challa. King, King, cut that. Yes, uh, <laughs> no, he's not going to cut it. Uh, yes, uh, Black
4: Panther um, fails to catch Claw or lets Claw escape, and one of his. Friends uh, is really upset about that. And it's like, yeah, I failed to let, uh, I failed to keep Claw in custody because I was saving your girlfriend from a grenade. Might have gone a long way towards um, uh, clearing up some misunderstandings in that movie. I honestly don't think it works as well outside of comedy because it's like, oh, so you didn't have time to talk. And in right. comedy, uh, we were talking about pacing. Speed is one of the things that's going to carry a misunderstanding through. People don't have time to sit down and talk. There's no time to understand what the other person's saying. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get your point across. So good thought. Yeah.
3: Uh, I just wrote a joke in my head that it's like we're going all the way back to the dawn of everything, and it's like a dinosaur talking to another dinosaur, and it's like, meteor. I thought you said meteor. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Isaiah, can you insert a rim shot? Podcast over. (laughs) That is a... uh, uh, that is, uh, I'm dying over here. Oh, wow. S- yeah,
0: that, the, Steph, let's pivot. Oh, <laughs> man, that, is, that
4: is a Reader's
0: Digest cartoon waiting to happen. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, submitting oh, yeah. I'm
3: submitting it to the large print edition.
0: <laughs> Steph, y- y- as a writer... Do you tend that you, do you find that you have a general style when you approach writing of like, this is my voice and most of my sketches are in this voice and does it involve misunderstanding? Is it an element you add in? How do you as a writer incorporate misunderstanding into what you write or do you at all? I asked like six questions there and I apologize.
1: No, it's <laughs> it's fine. um I never, I don't know if I see something like, oh, definitely misunderstanding or not. I think one of the more interesting. Or, or or something that I feel like I can say about, like, who's on first. And mine is, I tend to, like, especially in first drafts, be really wordy. It's more like... Because, like, when I... Again, this comes from, like, starting out in sketch where it's like, oh, boy, I don't know who the actors are. And one of them's going to be me. And I just started. So uh, if they can't hit the line at all in delivery, at least if the words will be funny.
3: Right. So, like, I yeah. definitely,
1: like, read who's on first written down. And it's still, like, hilarious. You can kind of pick out the pieces. So... To say, I like, like, I'll start from that wordier thing. I'm trying to move more towards, like, a more visual thing. And definitely, like, who's on first here had that visual thing. He's, like, hitting himself in the head with the bat. He's getting, like, really, really angry. after doing these overblown emotions. Um, yeah, let's start there. I like all the wordiness.
2: Mike, when you write, do you
0: consider misunderstanding?
2: Only in that you need to justify it or, like, cope with a concept where it is, like, inherently justified. Uh, one thing that struck me about this sketch is that, like, you know, Abbott and costello are like caught in these two bubbles of misunderstanding for eight minutes uh and and the simpsons just sort of like this brilliant take on it where um so like uh principal skinner and uh, superintendent chalmers are like they have this like foil relationship to each other and they for whatever reason they have to like reenact the bit superintendent chalmers goes who's on first and then skinner goes Yes, who is on first. Not the pronoun, but the unlikely person who has the name who is on first. And then Chalmers just like gets up and walks away.
1: Yeah, I will say that's one of the things about this eight-minute version because I think I was more familiar with the three-minute version. There's definitely a part where you're like, someone needs to tell him, like... So this has gone too long why, well, you me, get like, why <laughs>
0: because today and tomorrow it's like all right we've we've pulled this thread maybe as far as it can go well
4: I think how honestly, does it end no that's how it is I don't I don't give a darn who I don't give a darn oh that's our short, shortstop, and that's that's the end oh um but honestly I think why because today and tomorrow are generally a lot better received when it takes two minutes to get to them rather than five that's fair like I, I will say that and again, the speed helped. I think if they hadn't been this quick, it would have been untenable, But they go over that first bit many, many times <laughs> in in eight minutes. Yeah. And you're sort of stunned by how quickly things are going. But as Andy said, it really does start to wear by about minute four or five. It's like you could have you could have trimmed some of the fat. And I think honestly, that performance strikes me as being somewhat indulgent, right? You've got a half hour TV show, so really 22 minutes with commercials, and you've just spent eight of it recapping one of yeah, the Yeah, you've spent one of your minutes.
0: acts doing that.
4: Yeah.
3: But how many times have they performed it on television at that point? Because it started as a radio act, It started, right? yeah,
4: oh. it started as, uh, well, I mean, it started as a stage act, and then it was radio, and then they did it in that movie, Night of the Tropics. Mm. So how often have they performed it on television? I don't. No, but i do know that that's not the only like i believe even outside of night in the tropics that's not the only filmed version huh so yeah i wanna if i can andy Please. rest the microphone away from you um just want to talk a minute about the comic dyad right there's Ooh. this tradition of the comic dyad which is you have two characters who are foils for each other And what's interesting is how that plays out physically because you almost always have a large one and a little one in however you wanna frame that, right? It could be tall and short, it could be um, fat and thin, but this is another tradition that's, that's very, very old. But for whatever reason, when your comic dyad, when your foils are not physically similar, it somehow adds to the comedy and it makes it more memorable. Uh, a quick example, since we were talking about Shakespeare earlier, um, Hermia and Helena from *Midsummer Night's Dream*. Right, Helena's really tall, Hermia's really short, and that makes them funnier uh, than their two romantic male leads, who are uh, basically interchangeable and could be forgettable. But anyway, so just a little bit about comedy history and tropes.
0: Well, I think it's interesting. The the just the the double act even is a yeah. uh, is this underpinning of especially vaudeville and there's you there are clear tracks from vaudeville to this oh
2: yeah yeah absolutely that's why my two favorite vaudeville performers are c-3po and r2d2 there (laughs) there you go no it's it's, you get that
0: that through line Mm -hmm. of the double act that i think has in american comedy fallen away a little bit i mean you have key and peel yeah and it would be an example of that and you've got tall and you've got short there as well um I think there's a bit more of the double act thing in England and we've talked about this with people like um, Mitchell and Webb Webb, being a notable recent example. Fry and Laurie. Laurie, Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. One of my uh, examples that I didn't use were uh, Cook and Moore, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Uh,
3: Laurel and Hardy who actually I didn't see Abbott and Costello until I was an adult but Laurel and Hardy was my first introduction to comedy. That video the the piano. piano.
4: Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: All right, guys, it's time for final thoughts. Steph and Mike, can you guys come up with a rating system for how we rate these sketches today? We're
1: both pointing at each other. They're pointing at
0: each
2: other. Jeez. The pressure's on. Oh, no.
0: Who's going to
1: say it first? Oh, gosh. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. (laughs) All right, I'll go. Okay.
2: (laughs) Uh, Well, we came up with um, whether or not this sketch earns uh, blood-soaked cannibals. And it's just like how many blood-soaked cannibals? Is
0: it how bloody the cannibals are? It what is would be
2: the... one out of five blood-soaked cannibals for a truly terrible sketch and five out of five blood-soaked cannibals for a good sketch.
0: All right, well, lead us off with um, uh, Shia LaBeouf. How, how many blood-soaked cannibals would you
2: give this sketch? I would give it six out of five blood-soaked cannibals.
0: Six out of five, already subverting the scale. EK?
3: I would give it four out of five pygmy cannibals just because well. I think, you know, like, there's a lot of great stuff there for me, but I'm not sure that in terms of the, what am I trying to say here? Because it's so referential and specific to that point in time, Mm. I'm not sure it will hold up like even five years from now or 10 years from now.
0: That's an interesting
3: point.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, Seth? I was actually very charmed by uh, Shia LaBeouf. So I'm going to give it one blood soaked cannibal, but the cannibal was Hannibal Lecter. Mm. Mm.
3: Yeah. Mm. Wait, with beans?
0: Uh, always with beans. Okay. And a nice Chianti. Yeah. Uh, I think I would give it four uh, for similar reasons as EK. Uh, I mean, I would say regular, but they're all fine and young. Okay. Mm. Nice. Nice. That's nice. About Ouch. About you thought my dinosaur nice. joke nice. was Man, bad. that, that uh, Man. drives me crazy. Well, <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Steph, how many oh. uh, cannibal, blood soaked cannibals did you give this? Uh, would you give Shia LaBeouf?
1: Uh, I'm still going to go five out of five. All the same size, even if that makes the cannibals less funny. I feel like the sketch, even if it is for the time, it is really great. Like, there's so much comedy that is not funny anymore, but people <laughs> find hilarious. That's made a terrible way for it. There's a lot of comedy we don't currently look back on that isn't happened, Costello, and I don't know. It's still really good.
2: It's a catchy song, too.
1: It's catchy. It
0: really is. Yeah. I've been whispering Shia LaBeouf to myself. <laughs> For about ten years now. No, um, and then let's talk about. I of course I can't remember already. Who's on first? <laughs> oh. The most famous sketch of all time. Um, Ek, how many blood-soaked cannibals would you give? Uh, who's on first?
3: For technical merit alone, <laughs> I'm going to say that it gets the one but best jujitsu master bloody cannibal award from me. Yes. Um, you know it's it's hard to beat this as sort of an education in exactly what you can do with the English language and and with pacing and with layering and doubling down on a bit and and actually we've talked a lot about tension tonight and I think that's really what generates a lot of the laughs here. So if you want an education in comedy, just this is a great place to start.
0: Stuff. How many or cannibals would you give this sketch?
1: Oh man, it's hard because it's like one of my favorites, definitely. I mean, I think it gets best sketch of the century. I don't like this eight minute version as well, though. Right. So, it's, if, yeah. it's, if this one is particularly four and a half, four
3: like a half. one's All right.
1: that's still attacked strong. by the others, it's been devoured, partially pretty, eaten yeah. by the yeah. others like yeah. that. Oh, oh that's, that's good. good. That's like good. Huh.
0: Uh, I would say for this one, I would give it three and a half, partially because of the length, partially because I recognize that it is important formatively. It just doesn't do the same thing for me that other stuff does now. I, you know, I appreciate the history of it. It just doesn't, in terms of its sketch making me laugh, it doesn't make me laugh all that much. Uh, Mike?
2: I'm going to say six out of five blood-soaked cannibals. Again? Plus (laughs) one 3D printed head. Whoa. Whoa. Uh,
3: I... Is it edible?
2: <laughs> I you tell me.
3: I don't know. It usually prints in plastic. So oh,
2: okay.
0: I mean, anything's edible with the right attitude. Yeah, I true.
2: <laughs> I have the the burden of being a native English speaker, but I think if I didn't speak English and I saw this, I would still think it was hilarious just through like body language alone. Uh, I think just the the lilting Costello like New York accent is just inherently funny, and like just the the way he gets matter and matter. You can it's just universal
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's timeless and. It's people say it's the best one of the best sketches of all time for a reason, and I agree.
4: Seth, bring us home. I will. Um, my scale is similar to Steph's scale for pretty much the same reasons. Nice. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and give this particular version three because it's twice as long as it needs to be. Uh, <laughs> but I am going to give the regular, let's say, three to four minute version of Who's On First. I'm going to give that the entire Donner Party. Whoa! Oh, okay. how happy
0: were you when you thought of that pretty happy <laughs> uh,
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds a special thanks to our guests Mike Bach and Steph Kozakowski for being on of Dear Friends excuse me uh, for being on today's show where can our listeners find you online or in real
2: life uh, you can find us mostly at Dojo Comedy uh, we also have uh, the standard social medias We're on Facebook and Instagram. I was going to say now, how
0: how how do I spell dear friends?
1: Oh, it's D E E R and friends. Uh, so like uh, the animals, kind of cute. It does not work on radio.
0: No. But, um, <laughs> hmm. There's
1: A lot an abstract Costello sketch in there somewhere. Right. <laughs> Misunderstandings. Yeah. <so> <laughs>
0: Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch you're interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where you also can find links to the sketches we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Mike Bach, Steph Kozakowski, Seth Alcorn, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp, I'm Andy Weld. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by
2: Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForeverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t shirts, please visit BadMedicineComedy.com.